Welcome to FRT, the IAF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation and technology. I'm Brad Carr, and today we're at the IAF Digital Finance Symposium here at the Jack Morton Auditorium, right behind the IMF offices here in Washington. This is our second such symposium. The first one was in Brussels last year, and we captured the highlights of that one back on episode 14. And today we're again going to share the key takeaways from today's event. We've had some extensive discussions with senior officials and industry leaders covering such topics as competition and data policy, sandboxes, machine learning, cloud and quantum computing. And to capture the top takeaways, I'm joined by three of the symposium speakers, Annalise Schnarr-Campbell, Head of Financial Impact and Strategy at Standard Bank, Jean Demira, Director of Compliance at Manulife, and Michael Brett, Chief Executive Officer of QBranch. Annalise, Jean and Michael, thank you each for joining us and welcome to FRT. Annalie, if I can start with you, uh, you've had the longest and most arduous journey to be here, so I think you have the right to go first. You spoke on the panel on partnering for innovation, and I want to come to that specific panel a little later. But can I start by asking your top takeaways from across the day's program? Brad, I think for me, one of the key things that I saw today is the absolute pace at which things are changing. The fact that as an industry, we can definitely learn a lot from each other. Um, but also have to work with regulators, with fintech companies with which we can partner in order for all of us to be able to optimize the value and the benefit that we can get from the current technological evolution. There were some very interesting topics covered, literally everything from looking at quantum computing, which I thought was particularly interesting, and understanding that this is also still something that will be evolving and changing in the short term, but that there is significant potential benefit to be achieved from it. For me as well, the open way in which people discussed risks and concerns, in addition to the potential benefits, was quite interesting. I like the comment that was made that it's only when we understand the risks that we can truly manage them. I thought that was a very open and honest type of way of looking at technology and how we can not only recognize the benefits, but also make sure that we utilize these technologies with open mind, but also well aware of the potential risks. It's a good way of putting it. Jean, similarly, I want to come to your panel on combating financial crime a little bit later. But firstly, uh, and I noticed that you posted on, on LinkedIn during the afternoon that you've taken lots of notes through the day. What particularly stood out for you? One of the things I think that was quite effective and, and clear and resonated uh, throughout many of the different panels was that our regulators are appreciating a lot of the challenges that we're going through in assessing these different technologies, just like we're assessing these technologies as financial institutions. And they're trying to take to the best of their ability a principles-based approach, even though they probably get split requests hit to them, uh, both the unique as well as principle-based areas, in order to try to get to those root problems that we're all trying to solve to reduce customer friction while managing our risk and keeping the integrity of the financial system properly in place. Those examples of what principles are you trying to solve, what problems are you trying to solve uh, resonate, whether if we were talking open banking, AML programs, even in the cloud space, we're constantly talking about the same overarching risks. To me, it was evident at the end of it, especially in our program, of how there's also an intersection between cybersecurity, privacy, AML, anti-fraud. All of those different challenges that we're facing are converging in many ways. And I think it's the converged uh, solutions will be uh, the ones that resonate with the regulators um, because we're addressing all those principles across the way, but also resonate with our own firms 
And the technology partners, I think that'll succeed the most are the ones that also pick up on that. Michael, you uh, you gave a very interesting overview of the potential for quantum computing. Before we come to that, if I can put the same question to you, what really stood out for you across the, the rest of the day's program? Building on Gene's point, uh, what really impressed me today was the intent of everyone here to solve these problems. And I, I got a real sense that while there's a lot of technology that's emerging, everybody here has kind of wrapped their hands around it now mm-hmm. and has started to understand the problem and the scale of what needs to be solved and is taking very proactive steps to go through and solving those. So I didn't get the sense there was like any you know panic in the room or sense of fear around what was coming, but a willingness to embrace it and lean into it and create change for the better. It's probably a good segue to, to something I'll raise with Anna Lee in just a moment. Before I do so, I might just mention also that, that Michael Tang from Deloitte, who moderated the Partnering for Innovation panel with, with Anna Lee, but he was also just commenting to me a moment ago that, that his big takeaways were from the cloud panel, and, and in particular, the areas where cloud has been effective in actually managing to reduce the risk profile for firms. And in particular, the example quoted by FINRA, where they'd had their moment of realising that using a cloud service provider actually meant that they could manage external risks such as cyber better than they could do doing it themselves using their own infrastructure. But Michael, I'll take your point there about you know people getting their heads and their hands around it. And Annalie, if we turn to the Partnering for Innovation panel that you spoke on, and one of the things I thought was striking there was, firstly, we've spoken a lot about the symbiotic relationship in partnering between incumbent institutions and, and fintechs that are needing each other in developing and, and delivering innovation. But your panel, I thought, really emphasised also the nexus of that together with regulators. I think perhaps the point that we've all made that this sense of the banks and the regulators together being on that shared journey, needing to learn from each other and tackle these problems together. Was that the the key theme you really saw in that discussion? We definitely see that this is a learning process for all of us. What our regulators definitely emphasise is that they would like to engage with banks as well as with fintech companies when we do develop new innovative technologies so that they can very easily assess the potential risks that these could bring to the financial system and the economy. So it's much easier for them as well to be part of the development process. And I think from our side as well, it's much better when we are clear about the approach that regulators would like us to follow rather than after the event, retrospectively engaging with them on what it is that you're aiming to do and what the potential applications or additional requirements that they may have for you to meet in order to put this out to market. So I agree. And I I think what was nice today is the fact that the regulators were all very much willing to say, uh, come and engage with us. Let's work together on this. They definitely see themselves as facilitators Mm -hmm. uh, for a new environment within which we can really have innovative technology to provide better services in the financial sector. We've certainly found, and I know we've, we've said a number of times already that uh, from an IF's perspective, whenever we've gone to share our reports and our insights with the regulatory community, we've found them really, I think, to be anxious to learn more. And that constructive attitude is very much apparent. Um, Jean, we had you speaking on a panel on combating financial crime, which is an important topic, but ran the risk of perhaps being defined as, as a, a little bit of a narrow topic. Needed have had no such worries because you actually ended up with a very diverse discussion that I think captured a lot of the linkages between that area with other topics across things, digital identity in particular. We even had the discussion of robotics processing automation panel. But is digital identity really the the key emerging piece that you see in this space? I do. And when I 
typically talk about digital identity, I'm and I touched on it briefly in the panel, is it's more than just the core who you are at the first point of onboarding. And that was one thing that I think we tried to get to resonate. Onboarding is a key first introduction, but it's identity is really about taking trusted sources of information in a variety of different mediums and informing who is that person that's along the other end of that transaction and forming that resolution, whether if that be government source or other sources of data. And quite often we're getting that identity in multiple different ways and have a lot of information and technology tools are empowering every day to validate KYC and that will improve our fight against anti-money laundering. Governments are taking hold on this, on how we're getting access to customer information with their consent in an appropriate fashion, whether it be their tax information or other income or other elements into that mix or some very powerful tools which will help anti-money laundering, but it will also help the consumer in reducing friction and, and help in our fight against crime. So all of these tools, technologies, bringing us using the open APIs, with open banking, with looking at pass-through authentication tools, with biometrics, enhanced pieces, digital identities uh, provided by sovereign nations. All of these commingling will strengthen our fight against crime and also fraud and criminals from stealing as well. And then that second transaction is AML as well. So all of those pieces are really voting for a very positive future in the very near term. A lot of these tools on track in the next year, two years, and or a lot of them are already in place. And I think the point was also made on the panel about digital identities potential in helping financial inclusion and overcoming some of the correspondent banking retrenchment and de-risking that we've seen in recent years. Uh, definitely. And it also gives you a more wider picture of who that customer is across multiple relationships, where if you end up seeing a narrow view of the customer only in the credit space or only in the insurance space, you don't really have that completeness of, of who they are. And with these tools, we're going to be able to have that more complete view of the customer which gives us greater integrity that we're not being compromised for criminal needs. We could pierce through synthetic identities and we could pierce through criminal takeovers a lot more effectively because it's a lot harder for a criminal to take on the entire life of a customer with all their trusted relationships, whereas this will bring this all together. And the MAS had a great example that they touched on as well, that their centralized identity also includes their banking information tied to it. So if I have money that has to go in a claim and in the insurance space or a withdrawal in my security space and it's being paid to that customer, then I know it's going to their bank account and not someone else that's compromising in the middle. So that's reducing my fraud risk. It's reducing my money laundering risk. When the money's coming to me, I know it's coming from them without a change in property. So those are a lot of some great examples that were through the day and also in our session. Michael, I think you, you caught a lot of attention in the room with the, the overview on quantum computing that you gave. And the point that I thought most resonated was where you described the, the maturity of the technology in, in terms of some of its, its application, that it is at that stage where it's coming now out of the universities and more into commercial R&D. And so we see the opportunities for its deployment in risk management and in portfolio optimization, whether we're at the cusp of that or, or at least that it's getting closer. I was wondering if you could elaborate perhaps a little bit further on where you see that development. Over the past couple of years, we've certainly seen the corporate investment in quantum computing hardware really accelerate. A good estimate is around a billion dollars committed to quantum computing hardware over the past uh, two or three years. And so we're seeing that from the likes of leaders like IBM, Microsoft, Google, and then also in the venture capital space. And what this has enabled 
is now a set of quantum computing hardware platforms that software companies like QBranch or other institutions that would be end users to start to explore and to validate the potential applications of this new type of computer. And that is allowing people to get ready for the commercial grade hardware, which is in the pipeline from these companies as well. It's still very much early days in quantum computing. Um, we're at the, still in the pre-commercialization era of what this technology is, but there's enough momentum behind it and enough of a platform to work on that organizations can start to understand the applications that will be most relevant to them, capture some intellectual property out of that, and be ready to be a first mover as soon as that, that hardware becomes available. Thank you for each of those observations and those insights from the day. Um, if I can add a couple of other notable points that I, I took away, I really like the way that CFTC Chairman Christian Carlo started our day in which he talked about the notion of a, a 21st century regulator. And in that, he explained the dual outward and inward focuses of initiatives like Lab to CTFC, that it's about for them embracing innovation externally and then also bringing that back internally and interpreting for impacts on regulation. Alongside Chairman Giacolo, we had Councillor Craig Phillips from the US Treasury, and he very much emphasised that same amplified focus on digital identity, which I think really became a bit of a theme through the day. And that was one that Sopnendu Mahanti emphasised also. But Craig also picked up, I think, on the, the challenge of the intersection of traditional regulatory structures and mandates against some of the emerging data privacy and, and protection issues. And we often see this in our dialogues we've had with regulators, that there is this, at times, a conflict or at least a, a quandary, perhaps, between traditional supervisory mandates as a banker or as an insurer or in, in the security space versus these issues that perhaps cut across them laterally. I thought it was a, a really important point that, that Craig highlighted. And the last thing I'd add to the discussion is about sandboxes. And, and I thought it was great that we had Jeff Kupfer of, of Starling Trust, and he was able to talk about the practical experience they have of taking their initiative through the GFIN process, but also the way that Pat Chalkers from the Ontario Securities Commission was able to talk about the desire they have of wanting startups to be able to develop products and to deploy them that are safe and secure. And in that, they really want those innovators coming and engaging with regulators and that they see sandboxes simply as being another way of being able to do that. I think the way that I would uh, kind of lead off on some of those points that it was a parallel theme, especially in the sandbox space, was giving those innovators different ways to solve the same problems that we have today uh, by isolating. So, for example, on the privacy space, making sure the customer has control of their information. And the example that was provided today of even an index is all you would need. That the customer could see where did my information go, who has access to it, and then they have that comfort level of what kind of information went where, and they feel like they have ownership and control of their online information and identity. Those same things in a sandbox type of an environment, basically, you give the opportunity for the technology firms to provide their own solution. They are saying they don't want to abide by the regulations that are designed for a paper environment. That's fine they have to solve the same problems in their own medium, in their own way. Those are some of the pieces that, yeah. that resonated to me that was in parallel in some of those sandbox environments is it gives them that, that ability. So if you need privacy control or you need traceability of transactions, the like, then fine, do that, but do it using the technology tools that you have. The paper version is what you see in the laws today. Yeah, I think we're right at the beginning of understanding what's possible with the data that large organizations are collecting. And one of the key breakthroughs that we'll need is an ability to get that data outside of the organization in some fashion. So whether it's providing anonymized data sets or synthetic data that's representative of that work, 
being able to allow others access to that data in some way will then support the kind of applications that will provide a lot of value to customers and assure regulators and lead to more growth in the industry. And so that's the space where we're going to see a lot of innovation over the next few years. As well, the one interesting point that you raised, Brad, was that sometimes we expect our regulators to give us specific views on regulation, whereas it's not even clear yet which regulator or supervisory body does actually have the mandate in that specific field. So I think for that reason as well, it is very important that we do see government policymakers working with regulators, the banking, the the financial sector supervisors, but that somehow as well, they do decide where the ultimate responsibility lies for these different topics, because that makes it a, a lot more complex to navigate, both from a banking as well as from a fintech perspective. As I think we've, we've outlined, we've had a very rich day of discussions and across quite a diverse array of subject matter. I really want to stress our thanks to our good friends at Deloitte who have been tremendous in helping to make today possible. And equally important, thank you to Annalie, Jean and Michael for joining us. Uh, thank you for, for being with us on FRT. Yeah, thank you. And as we look ahead on FRT, coming up, we have some further great guests joining us in the coming weeks. We'll be in Japan for IAF events in Tokyo and the G20 Finance Minister's meeting in Fukuoka. I'll be visiting Stockholm to speak with Johan Torgaby, CEO of SEB and IIF board member on the cashless economy emerging in Sweden. And we'll also bring the highlights of the IIF Machine Learning Roundtable in Frankfurt on June 19. Please tune in again for those upcoming episodes via the IIF website on SoundCloud and also now on Apple Podcasts. I'm Brad Carr and thanks for joining us on FRT. Thanks for listening.